This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. Delighted that you could be with us today. Today, we have a very exciting episode. We're going to be talking with Pastor Chase Davis. He is a pastor, one of the pastors at The Well, which is a church in Boulder, Colorado. They recently made headlines in the Boulder Daily Camera. So we're going to be talking about that in the episode. We're mainly going to be talking about what happened with Acts 29, the church Network once a robust home to the new Calvinism and Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill Church. They used to be pushing back against the culture on several important fronts, including Mark Driscoll with his preaching on masculinity in the OOs. It was a thriving denomination at one point, but now it's known for Matt Chandler and wokeness. What happened with Acts 29? I'm going to be talking about that with Pastor Davis Chase is also going to give us somewhat of an up-close view of what he saw happening with the denomination. Of course, his church was in Acts 29 until recently. Matt Chandler and others voted to have them removed. We're going to talk about why. And here's a spoiler alert. It's because Chase is based, okay? And Matt Chandler and the rest of Acts 29 is not. So we're going to unpack that in this episode. We're also going to be talking about a recent tweet I made inspired by a meme from Chase. You might have seen it about Mark Driscoll being the dam that held back the waters of wokeness in Acts 29. I took a lot of heat for this, by the way, because people were like, why would you promote Mark Driscoll? I'm not promoting Mark Driscoll, but I am making an observation that Christianity Today and all the people that went after Mark have sailed away on the sunset ship, the sunset cruise ship of wokeness. Meanwhile, Mark is preaching hard against the idols of the day. What in the heck is going on? Again, I'm not making recommendations to follow Mark Driscoll, but I think it's worth making observations and just saying, if nothing else, that's pretty interesting. So I'm going to ask Chase his take on that. What did he see with Mark? What's he see with Mark now? And uh, why should that matter to us? Now, we are going to jump into the episode. Before we do, I want to make a quick announcement uh, you heard the announcement already about the conference. We're very excited for that. We're also very excited to be making this announcement that we do have a somewhat of a headlining speaker. That is going to be Pastor Toby Sumter from Moscow, Idaho. And uh, Toby's going to be speaking a couple times about a number of issues. The conference title is You Are the Plan. So we're going to deal with things like confession of sin and uh, really being the kind of men we need to be to build the new Christendom. Toby is going to be talking about that. By the way, he's also going to be preaching on Sunday. So conference June 8th through 10th, Toby will speak. And then he's going to be preaching on Sunday. So if you are sticking around in Ogden, love to have you at Sunday service to hear Pastor Pastor Sumter preach. Say that 10 times. And uh, we're very excited about that. We'd be glad to have you guys sign up for the conference today. You can check the link in the show notes, and now, without further ado, the show. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, and joined today by the one, the only, Chase Davis, pastor in Boulder, Colorado. Chase, thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. Hey, great to be here, man. Uh, Chase, I, I've followed you for a long time. We've kind of connected a few times uh, on the Twitter, but recently, man, I was like, I knew I liked this guy for a reason. Uh, I've been reading a lot of your articles, uh, but you had this, I guess it's a meme, right? It's a picture of a dam, and the dam is Mark Driscoll, and above it is the woke church. That's the reservoir, and then below it is uh, Acts 29 Pastors. Man, what a... It's a giant ball of yarn to start unpacking uh, what in the heck is going on with Acts 29. I know you guys have left. We'll get into some of that story. But, 
yeah, break this meme down for me. Like, what what is happening in this meme? <laughs> well, what I was thinking, uh, I was in the, I was out getting dinner with my sons last night, and I was like, I'm gonna get on this podcast, talk with Eric about it, and I was like, man, like what? When I think back on how this kind of all went down, because actually, nine, there's real, there's still good churches, good pastors in the network, but it it has become very compromised. And from the top down, I mean, it's been fed this woke narrative and it's been done so over a number of years. And Eric Mason was the main kind of generator of that. He felt it was his responsibility to, to turn it that way. And so when I look back, I mean, we had joined the network in 2011 and I think it was 2012, 2014, right in that time period where Driscoll hands the reins off to Chandler. And then eventually he's, he's removed, you know, he's going through his own thing up at Mars Hill that implodes. And I was like, man, when I look at him now, when I, you know, I see his clips online, you know, one of our elders went and visited his church on last Sunday, I think, because uh, we're just curious. I'm like fascinated because like, like you and like a lot of people, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. You know, some people are like, he's just a charlatan. He's just great at marketing. But I'm like, I would be surprised if, if woke church could have thrived under his leadership. And the, and the analogy I had was because, uh, you know, kind of Trump got arrested yesterday. And there's this kind of uh, analogy where you can go like, a lot of people view Trump as some type of savior or something like that. But he's he's not a great guy. I mean, I think we can all say that, right? But a lot of people see a need for for him to hold back what what's even worse. And the analogy in my mind was like, like Driscoll's like a Trump-like figure. Yeah. Or was in the network. Um, regardless of where you land on his character or his you know, should it be a pastor or that kind of thing. But that that's that's how the meme worked out in my head was like it it felt like and somebody was like, you should add some cracks to that damn. And I was like, you're probably right. <laughs> right? That's probably fair. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think it, it it is such a, a good parallel. You didn't mention this um, in the meme, but I was thinking the exact same thing, a, a little bit like Trump, where, you know, all the people, specifically conservative Christians are like, yeah, but his character and the number one thing I hear about Mark is, yeah, but he's disqualified. I'm like, OK, you know, maybe David was disqualified. Samson was probably disqualified. Um, but I, I saw that meme and I've been thinking about it. I had uh, shared a tweet, um, which blew up. Uh, people were like, Mark is a polarizing figure. He's like Trump in that way too. Right. Yep. It's, it's like, love him, hate him. And what I said was, I said, say what you want, but the people who lined up with Christianity today magazine to dunk on pastor Mark have largely bowed the knee to the woke demons of the age and Mark is preaching hard against it. And then I said this. I said, Samson lost his eyes, but he still knew how to bring down the enemy's house. Judges 16. Right. So I had this, I was thinking about Samson. I was like, you know, Mark may be kind of like Trump was. He may just be one of those imperfect guys that the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to tear their house down. I mean, again, you can say what you want about Trump. But the man got rid of Roe v. Wade, essentially, through the right. judges. And I didn't even sure. think that was possible. But the Lord, you know, in his divine counsel and pleasure, seemed that that was the plan, right? That seemed good to him. So I, I, I do want to ask about this, though. I think the – maybe start with the uh, rise and fall of Mars Hill. There is a mainline church that cared about that but maybe for all the wrong reasons. I don't know if you've, uh, have you listened to it? I listened to the first five until I couldn't take it anymore because I saw where it was going and I saw who they were bringing in. And I was like, this is so slanted. This is yeah. so, okay. I listened to the cultish one. I found that much more helpful. And, you know, some of the clips they pulled from Driscoll's sermons, I was like, yep, that's, that's not great. <laughs> you know, um, that was Mark. So yeah, I, I stopped listening after about five episodes. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, because that was one of the red flags early on. I, I made it through, I think, the middle of the fifth episode, somewhere in there, and it was like, okay, they're they're bringing out, like, the Rachel Held Evans crowd to bash right. Mark. And it, it was odd, actually, because as I was listening to the those episodes, I found myself saying, wow, Mark had some great teaching. <laughs> like, he he was really... In a lot of ways, he was like taking things from Doug Wilson and others and kind of popularizing them. Uh, were you at all concerned, though? Was it a red flag? It was for me, but I'm curious for you. You see who wants to take Mark out. That became kind of a, a, a point of caution, I think, for me with that series. 
yeah, it was a major point of caution for me. It was a point of caution with anyone. I mean, my own dad, who's not in evangelicalism. I mean, he goes to a church that's evangelical, but he's not like caught up in the in the stuff. Sure. He's texting me about this podcast, and I'm like, "Good night." Like, this is getting wide attention. So, with everyone, I would say it's a very slanted podcast. I mean. I was trying to warn people of that. And some people were very bothered by my warning. I was like, I don't know why that's bothersome to you. Like, you have to know that this is done with prejudice. This is done with an angle, with an ax to grind. This isn't some neutral, we're just going to stick to the facts. They have, a, they have a narrative they're trying to spin and tell. And so, yeah, I, I brought that up to some people at my church and they were like really bothered. I was like, look, I'm not like trying to, I'm not over here like a Mark Driscoll apologist. That's not my not my job. It's on my platform. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to warn people to think more discerningly about what they're being fed. Yeah, which which is, I think, a smart thing uh, to to do. One of the questions I have, if you go back, um, you said you guys, uh, 2011, uh, became part yeah. of Acts 29, right? Yep. My question is, did you, like, when you look back to those early days, did you foresee this? Can you see it now in hindsight? Uh, where do you think some of those cracks uh, we're starting to form. Yeah, I think the the actual network has always been um, a product of the Young Restless Reform Movement, the missional movement. Yeah, and a lot of that is kind of built on the ground of on the good side, they're trying to take good reform theology. On the bad side, it's a lot of marketing and spin, and so it is a lot of you know posturing and developing the right tone. And so that's why you saw a lot of actually nine guys like try to mimic Chandler or Driscoll when they're preaching, you know, and, and so back then as an, uh, an actually nine, once you, and this may still be true of any church plan, but once you get the logo on the website, that was like a big deal. That was like really significant. Like, oh, we're, we're, we're part of the brand. And even today they'll say, you know, at their last conference, the, uh, the president got up and pointed to a hat and pointed to the Acts 29 logo and said, this is your family you know, this is the brand. Really? And yeah. And it's like, it's just, it's been a marketing driven organization from the very beginning that's based in pragmatism. And so you could argue that that still is part of Driscoll's ministry. And I would definitely argue it's still part of Acts 29's ethos is that back then it was very pragmatic. Um, and I had people in my church who were trying to warn me and I had a hard time hearing it, but you know, just, it was all based on metrics and numbers and reach. And, you know, over time it moved away from, Hey, let's get, dive into doctrinal clarity. Let's dive in and let's have good conversations and discussions and debates on these big topics. And it's moved into leadership practicums, you know, just like, Hey, how can you be a better leader? Uh, you know, how to hire people, org charts, all this kind of stuff, which there's a place for that. Okay. But like, that's, I don't know if that was always there pre-2011, but at least that's what I got the sense. It just grew in intensity, a bigger emphasis on the pra pragmatics of church planting than on the actual doctrines we're defending. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, we were talking offline. You know, we had done a, a couple of church planting ventures uh, while we were in seminary in Louisville. You know, a couple different experiences kind of saw the same thing. I remember coming out of it thinking like they were really concerned about the lighting they would go through like brand marketing retooling of all the websites and the fonts and, you know, what kind of literature was in the building when you, you know, entered and all that stuff was really big. But over time, kind of what I saw was like, there, there wasn't a huge focus on anything beyond kind of like basic Calvinism. Uh, but what I did notice in a lot of these churches was the pastors were basically just ripping off Mark Driscoll sermons and like repackaging them. And uh, kind of cult of personality, you could see that. Mark obviously uh, could pull it off well, but I, I don't know. I think over time what I saw is the guys who tried to imitate him, it came off as like awkward and cringy. Oh, yeah. I would say too early on. I remember probably the first Chandler sermons I heard were at like Acts 29 men's group when I was in Louisville. And, you know, a lot of that stuff we're listening to and I'm thinking like, there was a lot of crassness. There was a lot of like, Ooh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure I would go there. Um, there was a lot of, I think it was a, like a, uh, Matt Chandler was like teaching at like a, it was some sort of conference in Dallas, but he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you guys straight. I'm really freaking good at this. He's like, I didn't even have to sure. prepare. I'm just like legend. And I remember thinking like, nobody in here is like, Ugh. like maybe a problem, 
Well, fast forward, you see a lot of the fruit of this movement and, and it's kind of been problematic. I wonder though, the transition from Mark, Mark to Matt was when, do you remember? I think it was 2014. 2014. What changed in Acts 29 then? I, I was gone by then, but I'm curious from your vantage point, what, what, what changed in the organization? Yeah, a lot changed because they were really trying to distance the brand from any association with Mark. And so mm-hmm. they did a whole rebrand, whole website, relaunch, and uh, clarified. They wanted to clarify what they are. So if you go on their website, you know, they're, you're going to find who we are. That's a big emphasis. And, it, and so they did that. They Their new mission statement was, uh, you know, a diverse global family. That was a big emphasis that changed. They kept saying we're, we're about churches planting churches. And so we were like, okay, we'll do that. So we did that. So church planting was an emphasis, but they really wanted to move into a softer presentation of their core convictions mm-hmm. rather than the kind of the hard edge that Driscoll brought. They were trying to show, and they always chalked it up. The irony is they always chalked it up to immaturity. We used to be immature. Now we're mature. And this is what maturity looks like. And it looks like softening and, and that kind of thing. And there was even tension within a lot of like, they produced a document on a complementarianism that was actually pretty conservative, but now they've even like removed that and haven't replaced it with anything. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it was an intentional pivot. And you can imagine the leadership tension at the top. If you're in charge of Acts 29, I mean, obviously there's a kind of a crisis going on. You've got a big name associated with your network, a founder, uh, supposedly, of the network. You you do want to do things to kind of like course correct, but there was a much bigger emphasis on organizational structure and kind of softening kind of the hard edge that the, the prophetic voice is what they would call it that they used to have. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I saw things changing. I think a lot of pastors saw those things changing, but all of us, we assumed it was for the best. You know, we assumed like, well, geez, if Paul Tripp, James McDonald, all these other guys say Driscoll's you know, irredeemable, then I don't want to be that. So I guess this is a better way, you know, and, and to give them credit, Acts 29 was a mess when Driscoll was in charge because like we got a call after he left and they called us, we're three years into the network, we're, we're full members. And they called us and go, Hey, are you guys actually, are you guys members? We don't have a list of who's a member and who's not. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yes. So it was a mess back then for sure. Here at the Hardman Podcast, you know I'm a huge supporter of men who value hard nose, hard work. Our country is literally built on the backs of men who have carried the weight of responsibility for their families and driven the economy forward. That's why I'm so excited to join forces with Max D. Trailers, a Texas-based and family-owned company, to bring you this episode. I'm proud to partner with Max D. to see the vision of New Christendom established one small business at a time. Max D builds innovative, hardworking trailers for the builders, fixers, and growers of the world. The company proudly supports blue-collar haulers, men whose businesses depend on Max D trailers. You can follow their stories by checking out Max D trailers on Instagram or by visiting the link in the show notes. Learn more about Max D trailers by visiting maxdtrailers.com where you can check out the article 10 ways to make money with your trailer. Yeah. I also wonder too, in that time period, cause this is naturally, you know, I, I shared earlier what I had written on Twitter and then posted it to Facebook. And we get a lot of this, like, you know, parading out all of Mark's failures. Um, so not to beat that dead horse too much, but, I mean, most people I knew who were acquainted or, you know, knew Mark or were, you know, at Mars Hill, most people said, yeah, there were some real problems. I guess what interests me is, and, you know, you had a closer seat. In most of it, I never heard, like, the other side. I I think what was cringy is, like, Mark went on with, like, Brian Houston from Hillsong, and you're like, wait, what? So I I guess what happened from your perspective Fault on all sides. Uh, how much of it was, you know, what was going on with Mark versus was there really a coup as he claimed? I I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that much either. Uh, I do have kind of like, because when I started questioning the narrative, I just went straight to people who were on the ground at Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. And so you'd get, you have a love-hate relationship with Mark for a lot of those guys. 
because they appreciate the ministry that he did in their own life. But then you hear stories about how he talked about people in staff meetings and talked to them and, you know, insulted them and this kind of thing. And then I think in, they were at one point he even laid hands on an intern, like, cause he was mad at him theory. At least that's what I've heard. Yeah. Now Mark hasn't, like you said, Mark hasn't come out. Um, I've always been curious what it would be like for him to, to share his perspective. Cause I really do think it would be an interesting story to hear his perspective, but because his perspective has been at least to this point kind of conspiratorial, you know, they were kind of trying to accuse him of adultery or something like that. Um, and he's then now associated with a bunch of people that you're kind of like, what's going on? And, and Darren did the same thing. Uh, Darren Patrick, he got, uh, taken in by ARC, which is a church planning network. What typically happens, especially with Acts 29, but in evangelicalism as a whole is because it's so tribal that once you become blacklisted, you're a black sheep, you're outside the camp, your former connections and networks, they don't want to touch you. You're too hot. And so then you, you're looking for anybody who will take you in, you know, who will show you some grace, some mercy, um, some help, because I mean, think about this guy, Mark was what, 45, 50 when it happened. Gosh, I don't remember, but you know, that's his, that's his vocation. That's his, now whether you b- believe he should be disqualified or not, that that's a, I'm going to table that discussion, but just imagine where he is. That's yeah, his oh, like yeah. vocation. That's what he knows how to do. That's what he feels God has called him to do. And so he's just looking for anybody that'll take him in. And so he's associated with a bunch of people who I personally wouldn't associate with, but those people, I guess, have been kind to him, you know, spoke their blessing over him. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't honestly don't know his perspective. I know there's all sorts of rumors about him having to wear body armor and like, you know, things at his house happening. And, you know, it sounds really scary when he describes it. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just know there's a lot of guys in the network have a lot of questions and most of those questions go unanswered because it's all kind of put up under pietistic jargon and, you know, just believe the best. And it's like, it's really hard to believe the best, especially when you got Christianity today uh, or as I saw somebody say, call it Christianity ashtray. <laughs> ashtray. Um, <laughs> That's good. The, you know, when they're the yeah. ones coming at them, it, it kind of makes you go like, what is going on? You know, what did happen? Yeah. It was really interesting because, um, I don't know if he doubled down on it or not. I never got a clarification, but I know Michael O'Fallon had said at one point when the Mars Hill thing came out, I, I had like shared a post and he made like some kind of like he does kind of like a, you know, it seemed like ominous, but Michael was like, he's like, yeah, you know why Big Eva hates Mark is because he knows where the bodies are buried. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But as as he said it, I got to thinking, and that's really what caused me to start questioning this narrative because, okay, they were like the smoking gun, the smoking gun, at least according to mainline evangelicalism, is the fact that Mark, the plagiarism issue. Like, this is the unforgivable sin. He plagiarized. It's horrible. J.D. Greer is caught doing the same or worse, and so is Ed Litton. And I'm Mm -hmm. talking like nobody bats an eyelash. Nobody cares. They're like president of the SBC. These are like the guys, and and they're really leading a movement that includes, at the time, Beth Moore, Russell Moore, the uh, Ray Ortland crew, all that. J.D. Greer's like at the front of it. And then, you know, Ed Litton comes in. These guys are like, yeah, they're like buying sermons. It's being plagiarized, copied. They're claiming to write them. They don't, et cetera. Again, nobody cares. So then then I said, you know, again, I, I am not at all a Mark Driscoll apologist, but kind of like my mom when I was a kid and I'd come home from school and I'm like, yeah, I don't know the teacher. She was just in a bad mood. So here's a pink slip. And I got detention. I don't know what happened. And mom's like, mm, <laughs> I don't know about your story. The right. story just yeah. doesn't add up. So, right. I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with any of that, but I, I'm kind of starting to say, like, I'm just questioning the narrative. I, d- I just don't get that. Yeah, there was uh, two things real quick. That one, yeah. there's a great uh, clip from an Ed Litton sermon, and he's plagiarizing a J.D. Greer sermon. So he's preaching J.D. Greer. And then he points to the screen, and the screen has Ray Ortland's face. No, with a with a Chuck Swindoll quote, as if Ray <laughs> Ortland is Chuck Swindoll. It's like that's great. So many layers. Um, Michael Scott, Wayne you, Gretzky. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally like that. 
you know what really broke my kind of what you're talking about where you started questioning narratives is like Steve Timmis. Steve Timmis is a great example because Christianity Today floated the article to Acts 29. Acts 29 went to Steve, and according to Steve, these issues that anyone had raised were already were already taken care of in 2015. Anyone who had a problem with Steve's leadership, they had already addressed it and cleared him. But now that Christianity put pressure on the network, they cut Steve within like a week. Interesting. And to this day, there's been no investigation as to what these allegations are. And he's just totally out of the camp. He's just totally cut off. And and then Chandler has the, the audacity to go to a publication and say, Steve Timmis is an abusive leader. And so like that to me was like, something's wrong here. And so I started asking like, what was the investigation? Like, what did he do? I mean, like thinking positively, like, tell me what not to do. Like, because. And that's like 2020, right? Yeah, 2020. And so if you've got uh, actually on network has had Driscoll, who people call abusive, then you've got Timmis, who is the next kind of president, CEO, CEO or whatever, um, abusive. Then what does that say about what's in the water? You know, but then all of a sudden I started questioning, like, was it though? Was Steve Timmis truly abusive or was he just, you know, pretty, uh, you know, uh, not controlling, but like his, his total church method is a very high control environment, you know, high relational trust between the pastor and the congregant. And so to this day, there's been no investigation. All they've done is slander him. And he just left ministry completely. And he got no phone calls. He got none of his questions answered. So that to me is even, that was revealing because the Tim, the, the Driscoll issue is more foggy to me. The Timish issue is more clear because I'm like, I don't know what they're accusing. Like this, the things that Steve is being accused of would have just been called pastoring back in the day. You know, and like, if that's the standard, we're done. What's really interesting is, yeah, so it goes back to, I'm reading a Baptist Press article, but it's it's pointing back to Christianity Today. Um, they're quoting Matt Chandler, but then you start reading through this thing, and yeah, it just says that he was accused of abusive leadership in a heavily sourced article that has no witnesses, evidence, etc. I mean, that's the sort of thing that, Again, it makes me question it because it's like, okay, so this is a hit piece. It's clear. Maybe he did something, maybe he didn't, but we don't actually know from reading this. So I want to tie one other thing in, at least one other thing that I find highly bizarre, weird, dumb, uh, doesn't make sense to me. And that's the whole thing with like Matt Chandler shared an inappropriate message with somebody on social media, had to step away, then was reinstated. And you're asking yourself, like, in the beginning, you're like, well, it must have been serious. Like, he was, like, on the brink of cheating on his wife, it sounds like. And then he's reinstated, though. And they're like, don't really ever say. And then, like, he gets applauded when he's reinstated. I'm confused by the whole situation. Yeah. What was going on with that? Yeah, that I actually did an episode on that, uh, not to promote my own podcast Do it. necessarily. Plug but, it. <laughs> Plug it. If you want to go to my podcast, you can sign up on the Patreon. There's two episodes behind the paywall. That's one of them. Okay. Because I, I did, I the reason I recorded it was not to, and the reason it's behind a paywall is because I'm not trying to publicly dump. In fact, I don't. Anyone who's listened to the episode is like, why did you speak so positively of Chandler? And same thing with Guy Mason in Australia. He's the one that promoted trans ideology. If you listen to the episode, I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get the pressure he's under. But with Chandler specifically, you listen to that and you see who's coming out against him. And you're like, gosh, like, I don't, I don't think Chandler likes me. I mean, he's one of the board members that voted to remove our church from the network. So, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but I have no ill will. I mean, like that's, it's their call and that's completely legal per their bylaws. But in this case, I don't see any reason, like, they should have just been clear on what it was. Was it, you know, DMs on Instagram that were jokes that had, you know, cussing or. Did know, they ever what, clarify? What was it? No, there was no clarity. And what that, it always does this when you get an antinomian, antinomian movement like Acts 29. And then they create law because every human wants law. They need law. They're, they're designed to have some kind of structure. But if you have an antinomian movement, they will create law to fill the gap of God's law. And then they make up all these other things and they even contradict themselves be- because they'll say these messages were not above reproach. And then they're like, but not, not above reproach enough to remove him from ministry. 
And it's like, what's going on, guys? What's going on? And so in my mind, here's, I mean, like, this is all speculative, but I would imagine somebody came to him because I think this is what they said. Somebody came to him after church one day and brought it up that he was texting or DMing somebody else's wife. And I don't know what she said in, in, in total, but I would assume that it was brought up to him. Like, if you don't do something, I will, or I will, you know, something's going to get leaked. I'm going to, I'm going to make this a thing is what basically he was approached with. So he went to his elders and I guess they were like, well, we'll just do a kind of, you know, suspension or I, they probably called it a sabbatical. I don't know what they, cause that's what they call it in evangelicalism. When it's a suspension, they call it a sabbatical. A leave of absence. A leave of absence. And then he comes back and it's just like, you know, everybody's clapping for him and you know, like he's it, the hero the, the, of this story. That's it, why I was confused. Like, wait, what? It's so messed up because like, there's no, re- you can't repent of something that's not sin. And yet he's having to manufacture this repentance up there and how restored he is. And everybody's clapping. Yeah. Chandler like yelling for him in the audience. Like he's a celebrity or something. And you're like, what is this? This is just really weird. And it's weird because when you, you think about it, Chase, it's like, okay, well, Either you sinned and you need to be clear about what the sin was, and that would have disqualified you. But we don't like it was all in vague terms. And but then they were like, "But he's he's been restored." You're like, "Well, if you didn't sin, like, what are you restored from?" I'm not really. Yeah, no, it's it's so weird, and so like I grew up in Dallas, I grew up in Texas, so like all this is very familiar language to me. So when I hear those words, I like I know what they're doing. They're, they're adding to God's law, new requirements and new standards for pastors to measure up to. And if you don't measure up to these man-made standards, then they, your elder team has the right to tell you if you're in or out, you know, if you're restored or disqualified. And I, I hate that. I hate, I hate that kind of extra biblical law so much. It's what kept me from enjoying Christ for so long, um, was these kind of rules and man-made standards that were not in God's law that were just extra biblical. So yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Like it's so, it was almost like funny watching it because I grew up in that culture in Dallas. And so like, I know what, I know what's going on. Um, it's so crazy. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increased longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for more than nine weeks now. Working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts or four per week, and I have increased my deadlift and squat by well over 100 pounds and my bench press by over 60. I've never had weightlifting coaching before, but with custom tailored workouts and constant feedback, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 350 pounds. My squat is over 350 pounds as well. And on bench press, I've hit 250 pounds, and those numbers are still climbing. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years that you have left on Earth? Sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs. Visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen to get paired with a coach today, or use the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the other questions I have about it is, do you think it's connected to the overall trajectory with Matt? And it kind of seems like it would be, but you know, I will get your take on this. I remember like during the Trump, the whole Trump stuff, I think it was Vice. They ran it on Vice. It was HBO, whatever, but they did this interview with Matt Chandler, right? You remember this? I don't think I remember this. Yeah. So they do this interview and they're like, why do you think people voted for Trump? And they're like, because I think American evangelicals have lost their soul. And you're just like, oh, "Oh my gosh. So we know the trajectory has been toward wokeness. Yeah. To pandering. I had actually, we, long time ago, I think at the beginning of the Hard Men podcast, people had reached out during COVID and they were like, one guy was like, I was a pastor there and I just can't, I, I can't do it anymore. Like. 
they're vilifying police officers. They're in the streets marching with the wrong people. Right. Uh, while closing service, you can't meet, but you could go, go do the BLM thing. Do you think it's just a function of, which I think is a warning for all of us, but do you think it's a function of when you have a church that is culture facing in the sense of like, hey, we're trying to be, I, it always struck me as we're trying to be really relevant. We're trying to not step on the wrong toes. Do you think that's just a recipe for disaster and that's that's why they were influenced by wokeness? Absolutely. I think it's I mean I think it's rooted in that. And they would of course use fancy language like contextualization, but like I think it's rooted in I think Trevin Wax uh calls it front-facing evangelism or being front front-facing evangelism or something like that. And I don't you know it's it's an obsession with maintaining an audience with the world and to the to the denigration of faithful gospel preaching and faithful representation of the biblical truth. I think there's a way. I know what they want to do. They're just not really good at it. And it's not a really good playbook for most pastors because it just leads to compromise. So yeah, absolutely. I think they're they they've shown an inability to really think discerningly about the times and they're in an echo chamber where it's just like say whatever doesn't get us get us in the most trouble with the wrong people. And so you see this with the statements they make or what they're trying to speak to and how they speak to it. Um, and like I always say, I mean, these people are just men. Like, they're just men. So th- the reason I say that is because if they're just men who are pastors, like, then why can't we criticize or why can't we disagree? And secondly, it gives me sympathy because I'm like, look, man, that's like a, what, 10,000 person church, the village? Yeah. And if if you say the wrong thing and you make the wrong people mad and you've already baked into the cake of your ministry that this is a place where we're going to be a diverse global family and that means certain things, then if all of a sudden you come out as like super anti-woke, then guess what? People are getting fired next week because you can't pay them. And so like there's a lot of pressure these guys are under. And I that's understandable, but that doesn't excuse you and your responsibility to speak truthfully during these times. Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal point. Uh, Chase, I want to ask you about uh, an article I think you had in Mere Orthodoxy uh, about being colonized by the city, or I think the title, Colonized by the City. Um, As I was reading this, I was thinking about uh, what you wrote, and I want to ask you about that. Kind of in comparison to, you know, we we probably both grew up with Acts 29 and Tim Keller and the, you know, For the City. That was always the thing. What's really interesting to me is, and, and I want to ask you this, why can I be for my city, but not for my Christian nation? Help me out. This is a great question. <laughs> I have no idea. I've been asking that for years. I mean, multiple years now. I've been going, okay, uh, I can be for my neighbor. I can be for my city. I can be for my town. Can I be for my state? Can I be for my nation? We can be for the world, you know? Yes, like, yes. You can be for the world, but not your nation. Like, what do I need to call it besides a nation for you to for you to be okay with it? Because, like, that's super just uncomfortable for a lot of uh, Christians today, because they've been so inebriated with a political liberalism that disallows them loyalty to the nation or a love for the nation that, and they, you know, they'll, they'll chalk it up to kind of a, a a neutral world uh, patriotism. They, they love the word patriotism. And what they mean by that is just kind of this neutral public square where nobody's offended by Christians. And so I have no idea what's stopping them, but I've, I've used, I've had multiple conversations with multiple pastors asking them that very question. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, tell me why. Cause you're for the, in the city for the city. That's your big thing Yeah. in, in the state for the state in, in America for America. Like I don't know, not that does one. It end and why? <laughs> in the world for the world. That's fine. Yes. Your nation. <laughs> no. What's also interesting. I was reading a book called last stands by Michael Walsh. And in there, I think he was the one that pointed out, this is like a Roman Catholic guy, but conservative. And one of the things he said in there is he said, yeah, the reason that people in our country today hate patriotism, it shares the same root word father as patriarchy. So patria, patriarchy, patriotism. Patriotism means love of the fatherland. So Mm. I think it's part of the fifth commandment violation, hatred for our father's Um, You look at a lot of this racial reconciliation uh, ideology. That's really what it comes down to is our fathers were idiots. We hate them. We're going to destroy the world that they created, et cetera. But I want to go back to the, you know, for the city, by the city, whatever. One of the things that struck me about this movement is we now have some 
years to look back, have some perspective uh, on what were the fruit of it. Did these churches, did Tim Keller's church, did it go and transform the city? The instances I've seen, I, I'm inclined to say no. You've interacted, I'm sure, with some of these churches. You're a church in a city. Do you think the fruit of this movement was good? Did we colonize the city or did it colonize us? Yeah, it's a great question. Anytime you're evaluating the fruit of either someone else's ministry or another church or movement, you have to take into account the both and. Because and God yeah. can use a lot of a lot of stuff to do a lot of good things. I do think Keller has had a significant impact in New York City. Um, I think he came into the, the city in a unique time where it, it was in some ways, and it's becoming like it was back then, more crime-ridden. And then under Gi Giuliani, I think it changed a lot. But he came in a u unique time, started some institutions, planted some churches, did some really good good things for the gospel there. But what what it kind of gets down to on on our level, who's who's not you know kind of the Pope, uh, Tim Keller is you enter these cities with this like grand aspiration to like, you know, we're going to see Jesus proclaimed. And then all of a sudden, like, they don't want to see Jesus proclaimed in your city at all. And what it would take for you to get an audience with those people who would even speak well of you, you would take so many compromises along the way that your conscience can't take it. And so mm. for a lot of these in the city for the city guys, you know, I just don't see them. They want to do like an, they want to do an art gallery, right? or a coffee shop or something that, that is like a, they, they'll use the the phrase third space, you know, where it's like a neutral place where people can gather. And it's like, that's fine. Like, like go do an art gallery, I guess. But like, it's never going to have the impact you want it to have because the church wasn't meant to be an art gallery. Like, that's what? Like it's, it's like, I mean, that's fine. I guess if you want to do that, but like we have these grant, a lot of church and I'll speak just personally, a lot of us church planners were sold on these grand aspirations of cultural impact and cultural influence. When at the end of the day, church planning is just being a pastor for a church you started. And that's going to involve a lot of pastoral ministry, care, and sheep, and, and the work of ministry. And so these kind of grand aspirations, the idealism leads a lot of men in their like 40s to go like, dude, what did I, what have I done? You know, and like, what have I produced? And because it's a pragmatically driven assessment, they start looking at the numbers and they start looking at like, how many people are still here or how many people did I actually see change? And they become really disenchanted and jaded because there was such an aspirational move to, to be in the city for the city, but there was never kind of a settled conviction of like, I'm going to be a pastor. No matter how many people show up, I'm a pastor that preaches the gospel faithfully. And so I think there's just baked into the cake of the vision an idealistic vision that can never be fulfilled, that only ultimately Christ will fulfill, even though we still aim for it. Uh, but we put a lot of pressure on these young church planners to do things that like they're not built for and capable of because only Christ can carry that. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I also, I, I was reading uh, James Davison Hunter's book, To Change the World, obviously huge Keller influence, uh, interplay between those two. But it's really interesting, you, you know, when you think about things like post-mill theology, uh, you think about theonomy, like it's very clear, I would, I would argue, there are no neutral spaces. There is no such thing as a happy secular pluralism that's just going to be this great table where we all just share ideas. I think that probably did exist um, at certain points where you could have, you know, conversation over tea. Um, that sort of thing has radically changed, though, I think, particularly in a post-2020 world. It's not just COVID, it's also rioting and um, just the the heated exchange culturally. I mean, we saw it again uh, last week. Things are heating up. I, I would probably argue being stoked to heat up um, by re the regime, right? Where it's like, okay, you're trying to turn the trans community against Christians. And, you know, we have all these horrible things happening. But you look at it in any event, it's like, this is not a happy neutrality. Um, that world doesn't exist uh would be my my argument there um do you see it that way and is it something that like what i guess if so why does that matter that we say no neutrality yeah i mean i thought it was that way in fact i still like part of my heart still wishes that it was that way even when i see people who disagree with me i'm like my first instinct is let's go grab a beer and talk about it like i still yeah. and i don't think that's a wrong impulse necessarily you can break bread. You can have a drink with somebody just like Jesus uh, had people over to dinner, that kind of thing. Have a so conversation. I, I think that's yeah. a fine. Yeah. But like, I think, like you said, 
it's being ratcheted to such a point where it's becoming impossible. And yeah, we our church has moved from a from a place where it's like we're just kind of neutral in the world and just want to show people the love of Jesus to to a church that's really self confident in the total rule of Christ, and that it's not whether but which it's it you will worship everyone will worship and so there is no neutral here you, yeah you you will decide will I follow Christ or will I not and and that goes for families for institutions for nations for cities and so yeah our church is very much of the conviction that that neutral fantasy it sounds like I, I'm gonna be honest like it sounds nice like it sounds like <laughs> yeah. you know like I'd love to go out and like hey look all these different ideas and I'm more academically minded anyway so that that kind of appeals to my nature yeah but like at the end of the day, when you read the scriptures, like you don't see that. You don't see this kind of neutral pluralism as as an ideal standard for a nation. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I, I think it's a great point. Uh, tied to it, I want to ask you about while well, you're wearing a, I think Christian Taliban T-shirt is what that is. <laughs> he's so I've the, been told he's got the uh, Christian nationalism T-shirt on. I, I want to ask you about this. Obviously, uh, Stephen Wolf's book on Christian nationalism comes out. Uh, I got a copy of the book. I was reading it. I was like, okay, two kingdoms. I'm more of a theonomistic guy, but I see a lot of the merit and value in this. It has been, to say it's been a heated issue is maybe the understatement of 2022 and 2023, the last year. Why, why is this issue, why is it such a big deal? Why is it getting on so many people's radar from both sides? Yeah, I think it started coming into popular parlance from the left as a slur to use against Christians who are just trying to be faithful and, and had a had a bent towards faithful proclamation of the gospel in all areas of life, um, all of Christ for all of life, as some might say. And so it became a slur to kind of accuse people of being a certain way. And then some people decided to take it on, just like the early Christians took on their name. And so I've always been, like when people ask me at our church, are we Christian nationalists? I'm like, that's not the well. The well isn't going to, we're not a Christian nationalist church. That's not, I, I wear this shirt because it's fun and I like the book and uh, me and my friends have enjoyed the book. But I think it's become kind of this thing where it threatens a lot of the regime narratives in Big Eva that it would be different than how we uh, have conceived of ministry, how we mm. have conceived of culture. And to go back to James Davidson, I thought his book back in 2014, I was like, this is the book, you know, to change the world. Like, how could you not love this? And I look back and I'm like, oh man, like anytime I'm tempted to any kind of hero worship now, it's like God is whispering in my ear. Remember? Do you remember that Russell time? <laughs> Do you remember that time you loved somebody so much? And I'm like, okay, yeah, they're just men. They're all just men. And so I think a lot of the fight um, because the Christian nationalism book is a very, it's a, uh, political theology. So it has its own, and it, he's pulling from historical resources. So there's a bit of historical theology going on. And then a lot of people are taking that and don't know what to do with it because they're used to pop Eva and kind of these Paul Millers of the world that are kind of neutral public square, uh, patriotism as kind of uh, pluralism. And so they don't know what to do with it, but they definitely see it as a threat. It seemed like there was a coordinated campaign against the book itself. I mean, there was, it's like they couldn't even read the book well because it was so slammed just consistently. And kind of like going back to the beginning of the episode, when, when you start seeing that kind of stuff, it makes you go like, what's going on here? Like, why is everybody so heated against it? Um, now you have to be careful. You don't just become a reactionary where it's like, well, that means it must be good. Well, it's a, it's a book. It's a guy who wrote a book. I think it has some merit. There's some stuff we can learn. Lots of resourcement in it. I think it challenges a lot of the narratives we've been told today. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I want to ask you now about um, this is going to come from my favorite newspaper in the nation, and that is the Boulder Daily Camera. I mean, what a fine establishment of pure journalistic integrity. Um, you guys actually were featured recently in the Daily Camera. I wonder, Chase, if you would tell me just a little bit about this miraculous piece of human literature. Yeah, apparently somebody had the uh, had the desire to go and listen to a bunch of our sermons, which is fantastic. I love that they heard the gospel so many times and uh, and quote us. And the quotes are very, you know, Christian, things like homosexuality is sin, 
you know, very boilerplate Christianity. And the article was like, go protest this church's Easter egg hunt. Oh, that was yeah. this guy's angle. And you're like, good night. So we were, I think they, they couched us as some kind of Taliban, uh, pro birth, all just very, very odd. And they did call us Christian nationalists. And, you know, the one time they quote one of our pastors who, who flirted with the idea from the pulpit. And I talked to him about it the next day. I was like, Hey, like you're, I think you're right. But like, you know, we don't need to, we're not, we're not going to promote Christian nationalism as a movement at our church. We're not self-identified Christian nationalist. Um, and I know a lot of my friends out there who are, would give me a lot of grief about that, but like, that's just not, it's a political theology. And when I'm preaching the Bible, you know, I don't need to, I can pull from that, but I'm preaching the scriptures and I want to be faithful to that. So it's kind of, it's not a two kingdom approach, but, but it's trying to just, I'd rather, because I was so inebriated with so much of the jargon in Acts 29, and I just parroted it, whatever kind of like was fed to me, that I'm very hesitant, or I try to be self-consciously, none of us can be perfect on this, but I try to be self-consciously hesitant anytime there's a new phrase like Christian nationalism or anything else, where I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to wait and see rather than what I used to do, which is like, oh, this is the best. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's figure out how to promote this idea. Jesus knew the left nor right, you know? And like, we, we parrot these slogans that are absolute nonsense. And so I just have a more cautious approach to these things. But even the quote in the article, it's like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, these are, yeah, these are what Christians believe. If you go ask other churches in town, they'd believe these things too. So uh, very, very funny, uh, very sad. You know, uh, I had some friends encourage me, like, on Holy Week, for an article like this to come out, you're doubly blessed. You know, <laughs> yes. like, um, so... Yeah, it's, uh, we've never had that kind of heat before. We've had other publications in the Daily Camera, which have been kind of telling our story and that kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, it's an opinion piece. And you know, I reached out immediately and was like, hey, could I write kind of a response? So we'll see if my elders want me to do that or not. I don't even know if that's wise or prudent. So we'll just go to the Lord and see what he has for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that's part of it too, as you, you know, the church, you guys, as you're preaching faithfully, it means that we have to speak boldly as Christians to these issues. And I definitely think this week is a great time to reexamine. Jesus said, if you follow me, if you love me, they'll hate you. Uh, if you speak the truth boldly, you'll be persecuted for my sake, and you should rejoice uh, in your Father in heaven. That that means something positive uh, in terms of your Christian discipleship. So taking that in stride, I think, is really important. And I think as Christians, you know, a lot of us figured this out post-2020, like, you're going to have to make a stand. Yep. Right. Everybody was kind of in this mode where it's like, well, that's not the hill to die on. Neither is that one. Neither is that one. In fact, there's no hill to die on uh, because we've given away so much ground. We actually have no hills left. Um, yeah. That becomes and a that's real been my problem. Big thing is the two books that were most popular back in 2020 were Finding the Right Hills to Die On and Gentle and Lowly, which their merits aside, it's just a strange emphasis Timing. for the church today. Yeah. And so I always said when people would bring up Finding the Right Hills to Die On, oh, it's a great book. And I'm like, we need to go. We are more than conquerors in Christ. Christ already died on the hill that needs dying on. Amen. Our job is to take hills for Christ. Yeah. Like this is, the, we have to, it's literally like the wrong posture we should be taking as pastors and theologians, as leaders of God's people. We should be looking ahead and going, we're going there. That's where Christ has called us. We are called to proclaim the gospel to the nations and we're going to move ahead rather than constantly trying to figure out where can we retreat to. We got to retreat. We're in retreat mode. I'm like, no, we need to go on the offense with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, to all people, to everyone in Boulder, everyone in Colorado, everyone in America, everyone in the world. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's interesting, Chase, because I was thinking about this. I've had some interactions with some kind of larger megachurchy type pastors and people. And I used to look at those guys and say like, yeah, they're the problem. And I think a lot of times the reality is like there are guys in those churches that are growing a spine. They see the need for it. I think though, what's happened for a lot of people, you know, I was in Acts 29, you were in Acts 29. As you said, we were kind of discipled in how to take it on the chin, how to play nice, how to put things in ways that are, you know, unoffensive to the culture. Again, I just think that there's a shift where more and more guys are coming to wake to the fact that like, no, you're, you're just going to have to be a little bit more aggressive we're going to have to posit a, uh, a a somewhat aggressive strategy, I think, in terms of being on the offensive. 
And uh, I think that, you know, again, it's just that shifting change in the world. I, I, I want to ask you, Chase, as we kind of wrap things up here, as a way of plugging your Patreon, you've had some interesting guests on here. Yeah. I'm kind of interested by some of this. Okay, so you had Os Guinness. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. How was that conversation? What did you guys talk about? I'm sure you learned some. He's an impressive guy. I mean, it had to be a good conversation. Yeah, Oz is great. Second time I've had him on. So I just like anytime he has a book, I'm like, hey, come on and promote it. And my my hope is always, and if he were to listen to this, I would tell him this. My hope is always to get him to talk, talk about cultural stuff because that's where a lot of people yeah. need equipping right now. Yeah. Because his last book was Science of Transcendence, which is great. Everybody should go pick it up. It's, it goes through stories of atheists who became Christians and, and how God spoke to them and met them uh, when that first spark hit, you know, of uh, curiosity about God in a profound way. But yeah, the conversation with Oz was great. We actually had a, a, a tweet went uh, viral, you might say, got 150,000 views on that tweet, which was pretty oh, nice. fun. Um, I'm not a big, like my, my instinct in life is not self-promotion. And so having a podcast and like promoting it is very awkward for me at times. So like I saw this clip being uh, circulated with uh, a couple of accounts like Honest Youth Pastor and then Theos U both posted the clip but didn't like attribute it or anything. And my wife was like, they didn't attribute it. And I'm like, how would they know? I didn't do anything to say, listen to my podcast. It's not their fault. Like it's just Oz being Oz. He's great. He said, uh, he said, look, this idea that Christians need to keep their heads down is absolute wrong headed. It's garbage. And here's what we need to do instead. Amen. And so Oz talks about that in the latest episode. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just phenomenal on it. And the great thing about it is, I don't know if you feel this way, but a lot of times I feel like I could say the same thing that Oz says and people just don't want to hear it from me. Yes. But if Oz says it, people are happy to listen to it. And I'm happy for them to listen to him instead because yes. he's definitely got more chips to cash in than me. And so, yeah, Oz is fantastic. But we've had a lot of great guests, um, everyone from like Megan Basham, Time and Klein, Stephen Wolf. Oh, nice. Um, all these guys are on there. So I try to just have people on that I'm very curious to learn more about. And really, it was a way for me to get free FaceTime with people that I want to hear from and not have to pay in a consultant or anything <laughs> like that. So really, a lot of these conversations are very personal because I share my own story as we go. And you can see kind of my own development throughout the podcast. So I, th I think it's really fun. Yeah, that's awesome. So that is the foolproof theology. Um, yeah. I'll share links for your Patreon. People can sign up there i'm sure you got some stuff under uh paywall and i'm assuming that's in itunes and spotify as well yeah anywhere podcasts are found you can find my podcast awesome yeah well chase i really appreciate it um i i kind of want a hard men podcast right if you were going to say to guys on today's recording april 5th april 5th i guess like a charge to men like how would you charge men at this moment in time and space uh, to be the men that God's called them to be, uh, what would you say to them? I think the biggest thing men to do, need to do today is men need to take responsibility for their home, for their church, and their country. Mm. They need to take responsibility for the for the laws, the ideas that are being propagated. And I know men, for a lot of good men, they, they're working hard, they're busy, and so there's a lot going on. But podcasts like Hardman Podcasts and others, you need to listen to them because they're going to help expose you to these ideas in an equipping way, whether it's a guy like Matt Walsh. I mean, Matt Walsh uh, recently, you know, had a big debate on transgenderism. And, and that's the kind of leadership we need right now. And so if you're fed up, and if you're cynical, and if you're tired, disillusioned with what has been, don't stay there, move into responsibility and take action. Because you're never going to learn and you're never going to grow if you never take action, you've got to try. And if you try and fail, the good news is Jesus is merciful, and there's forgiveness for you. So I would rather see a bunch mm. of men try and fail and stumble along in a good direction than just sit passively by as the country continues to spiral downward. Amen. Man, what a good word. Chase, thank you so much. Uh, as I said, we'll include links in the show notes for your podcast. Also encourage people to follow along on Twitter. You're fairly active there, and I've enjoyed a lot of the content, so definitely encourage our listeners to check that out. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. We definitely appreciate all of our listeners. We could not make this show happen without the support of our Patreon supporters. So if you have listened 
and benefited from the show, we encourage you to check out Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can use your dollar to vote for more of the content that you enjoy. Again, want to see more of that not only supports the work that we're doing here at the Hardman Podcast, but also new Christendom Press. By the way, if you haven't yet, check out Haunted Cosmos, a new show about high strangeness with Pastor Brian Sauvey and Deacon Ben Garrett from Refuge Church. Very exciting show. They're going through the Mothman right now. Don't listen to the show right before bed. I made that mistake. And it's super creepy, but also edifying at the same time. These gentlemen will unpack that show. So be sure to check that out. That's one of our shows, one of our new shows. Again, that's The Haunted Cosmos with Ben Garrett and Pastor Brian Sauvey. Again, thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. Until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.